I trust you have made that decision in your life and, uh, and for the joy that you receive, you continue to follow hard after him. This morning, before I look into our text and be- begin our message, uh, no doubt uh, you come into this service from uh, the crazy week that we have just experienced uh, with a probably a mix of emotions. Some of you are coming in with feelings of relief, some of you with confusion, some of you with frustration, some of you with anger. You know, four years ago, after President Trump was elected, there was numbers of people who said, not my president. And of course, now four years later, no doubt there are many who are saying in reference to just some of the uh, results now, not my president. And you come in and you're just all frustrated and you're wondering, what's going on? Well, you're at the right place. Because in Psalm 73, you read about the psalmist wondering, why does so often evil prosper? Why does all of these things happen in my world? And the picture is of the psalmist who's just has a lot of angst in his spirit. But then he says this, but then I went into the house of God. And I remembered in many ways who's in charge and who's going to work everything after the counsel of his own will. And what happened? There was peace. I don't know about you, but as we've sang over the last 20 to 30 minutes, you know what? There is nothing greater than to talk about Jesus. There is nothing more stable and satisfying and peaceful than to rest in the God of the universe. And let me tell you, he's in charge. As a reminder to you of just a few things, number one, God has often allowed his people to be under flawed leadership. He allows it to happen here at Lebanon Baptist Church. He's allowed it to happen for the history of our nation, flawed leadership. He has allowed his nation of Israel to be under kings, some of them who sought after God, some of them like Manasseh who ran from God and led people in the wrong way. But who's been in charge the whole time? God is. And he is in charge today. We often as God's people relegate to the government our responsibility. You know what our responsibility is? Our responsibility is to hold back corruption and to be the hope in this world. And if you have placed your hope in politics or the government or anything like that to be your hope, let me tell you, you will always be found wanting. But let me tell you, our job is to be salt and light in this world. You know what we ought to be doing? We ought to be heralding the message of the kingdom. And if there's anyone who has hope and joy, it's us. And what this should always do is cause us to pray, God, send revival. You know, wouldn't it be great to see revival like the Great Awakening happen in the United States of America again? Let me tell you, God could do it and he could begin it in Roswell, Georgia. You pray for it. As a As a young man, I got to see two, I would say, clear spiritual revivals in my life. And both of them were the result of deep prayers of God's people. 
And may God do that. Final thing I want to share before I go to my message is this. Guess what? Jesus won. And guess what? In just a few days, he's going to be inaugurated. And you know what we should be doing right now? And we've done it since the beginning of the service. We've been celebrating. Because he resurrected from the grave. And he's in charge. He's setting up his kingdom. And he's, in, he's going to establish and order it. This morning, as I opened for my own personal time of devotion... I've been reading through the Psalms, and it was just, you know what, God directs us at the right time, at the right place. Psalm 47, I read, it said this, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. You know, we've been doing that so far in the service. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Isn't that true? And then it says this. It says, for God is the king of all earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. And you came to know him through Jesus Christ. I mean, over the last two weeks, you know what? Our whole nation has been struggling of who would be the ruler you remember singing, I, I don't know if you caught this, when I sang I'd rather have Jesus than to be a king of a vast domain. I mean, if there's any domain you would want to be in charge of, right now it would be the United States of America. But I'll tell you this, I'd rather have Jesus than that. And it's, it's great. And if you have him, you ought to be joyful and happy and praising the Lord. So our God reigns. And so may you continue to walk with the Lord and may God help us to be light and salt in this world. This morning, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 will be here in just a moment. Uh, Today, we have the opportunity to return uh, to our series that we begun a number of weeks ago on the greatest stories ever told. We have been looking at a short series on the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you know that our normal practice at Lebanon is that we would work through books of the Bible, but we have been taking a little bit of time away from uh, that uh, practice by looking at accounts of the parables in three different gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You say, Pastor Brian, why are you devoting time to look at these particular stories? Well, the reason I do so is because they are told by the greatest man that ever lived. More than a man, the God-man. God who became flesh told these stories. And what these stories do is they unveil aspects of the greatest story ever told, and that is the gospel. How human beings can be reconciled to an eternal God. How we could live with him forever. And so today we have the opportunity to look at two more of these parables. We'll look at them together and it's the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl. These would be classified as kingdom parables because both of them uh, start out with the kingdom of heaven is like. It's talking about, of course, the kingdom of God. 
These two parables, just to lay some context, were told to Jesus' disciples in private. So instead of some of the, the parables that were told in the crowds of people, these two are told in private with only his disciples there. And they're only recorded in one of the three synoptic gospels in Matthew. And so in order for us to kind of have the context, uh, these parables come to us in verses 44 through 46. But in order for us to set that up, I want to lay it in context and just read verse 36 as well. Listen to what it says, Matthew 12, or Matthew 13, verse 36. It says this, Then he left the crowds, so he's leaving the crowds, Jesus, and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And of course, a few weeks ago, Pastor Josh unveiled the truths of this particular text. But immediately following this, our two parables come up in which Jesus is talking to these disciples in this house. Listen to what it says. Begin in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Will you join me as I ask the Lord's help today? Father, Lord, you have, over the last number of days, illuminated my mind to help me to understand better this text. And now, Father, I ask that you would illumine the minds of each of the individuals within this room. For those of of this congregation who already have come into a relationship with Christ, Lord, would you enlighten them more to understand the treasure that they have in Christ. And Lord, may they live a life of continued repentance toward him. That they would live a life wholly devoted to Christ. For those in this room, Father, who have never experienced what it means to find the greatest treasure in life, Jesus. Father, may today be the day they discover it. And may you open eyes as you did on the road to Damascus with the Apostle Paul. And as you did in so many of our lives. Do that today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a wealthy area here in Roswell, Georgia. Uh, I remember a financial planner in our church telling me at one point, he says, Pastor Brian, there is a lot of money in Roswell. You know, you and I don't need any more evidence than simply a drive through town, uh, just seeing all the beautiful houses. We are in the midst of wealth. Because of that fact, no doubt I have numbers of you who have investments. God has given many of you money, some of you lots of money. How are your investments doing at this time, right now? Of course, the last number of days and months, the market has shown some volatility, up and down, up and down. Of course, volatility has always been an issue, whether it was in Y2K, whether it was in the housing crisis in the last decade, or even in the last couple of days and months. It's for this reason that most of you have been told by maybe your financial planner that you need to diversify your investments. 
Spread them out so that if something goes bad, you're going to be okay. Don't put all of your eggs in one basket. That's one of the reasons why mutual funds are so popular. Here's You buy a mutual fund and they diversify for you. That has been, of course, my normal practice when it comes to investing. I, at times, have dabbled in individual stocks when people have said, oh, you need to buy some of this or that. Most of those decisions, when I've made them, have been pretty bad decisions when it comes to timing. I remember someone telling me, you need to buy Sirius Satellite. This is like a really good kind of the radio station that many of the cars could turn into uh, by way of satellite. I remember I bought a bunch of that and it goes down. And then as soon as I sell it, what happens? It goes up. And man, I I made a mistake. I remember uh, now, uh, numbers of years ago, I, I was probably an early buyer into Apple where it was like, oh, I really like Apple computers, so I'm going to get, I'm going to get, I'm just going to buy a little bit of Apple stock. And so it did well. But then I heard this new product that was coming out, and I was a little nervous about it because sometimes it hadn't worked out real well. It was this, like, iPad. So what did I do? I sold. (laughs) And I was like, stink, I shouldn't have done that. I've often been burned when I invest in one particular stock. So I would tell all of you, don't follow my advice when I tell you an individual stock to buy. However, there is a singular investment that I have made that has come back with priceless returns. Let me tell you, it was a number of years ago I invested my all, my life in Jesus Christ. I placed my faith in him, and I can tell you, if you can buy anything, buy all of him. He is well worth it. What I got there is going to have everlasting returns, and so the same with all of you who've come to know him. It is the greatest investment that you could ever make. Today in these two parables, we are going to talk about counting the cost In reference to the greatest investment in all of life. Today we're going to see this. Simply this. The greatest investment in life. And who is it? It's none other than Jesus Christ. It's him. The kingdom of God is just a picture of a relationship with him. He's the place, but he's the person. That's the place, but he's the person. Heaven is him. What have you invested your life in? What are you giving yourself to? In these two parables, we see your need to invest rightly. So two truths, here they are. The first is this. Recognize the all-surpassing value of Jesus Christ. Recognize it. What we find in these two parables are two individuals who find the all-surpassing value, the all-surpassing treasure. In both of them... They find something of great value, one by accident and one through searching. Now, I, find, I found treasure here and there by accident. I remember, some of you would say this is not a really treasure. I remember driving down Etrus Road toward my house one day, and as I'm driving, I noticed, I think that was a piece of currency. And so what do I do? I turn around, and guess what? 
a $10 bill right in the middle of Etrus Road. I was like, yes. Now, some of you after the service say, you know what? I lost $10 on Etrus Road. (laughs) You owe me. Uh, But I found a small little treasure, and I wasn't looking for it. It was just, I found it. It was by accident. Some people find it by purpose. Many of you heard about the story of this millionaire in Colorado who hid a treasure in the mountain, the Rocky Mountains, and he began to advertise it and said, I put a treasure out there in order to get people out into the wild and to be able to explore. And it had over a million dollars worth of stuff in it. And he wrote a little poem and he gave a lot of different hints and hundreds of thousands of people went out looking for it. And it was just recently that it was posted on his, the website, treasure has been found. Someone finally found it. I believe probably that person who found it was purposefully out there following those clues and intently looking for that particular treasure. Well, here in these two parables, one is searching and one is not. They just happen upon it. In the first parable, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man who simply finds a treasure in a field. Listen to what it says in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Which a man found and covered it. Now, if you think about a man in the field of Israel finding a treasure, it may sound familiar. Just recently I read an article from this past summer of two 18-year-olds taking part in an archaeological dig in central Israel who found a hoard of gold coins. In fact, 425 gold coins in a clay jar fastened or secured with a nail holding its lid on. I mean, that was a treasure in that particular area. Jesus is telling of a similar treasure that was found. In our parable, the man finds a, I would say, more extensive treasure in a field. Of course, at that time when Jesus is telling the story, it was by Jewish law, the person who found it claimed it. So it was his. There, uh, this was probably a much more regular occur- occurrence in that day when there was no online savings accounts or safety deposit boxes. All of you probably have a lot of your savings, you could say virtually, somewhere, and it's hopefully out of anybody's uh, taking. It's out of their reach. But at that particular time... Uh, they would often be forced to hide their treasure in the ground. It was said of merchants of that day that they would diversify their savings in three ways. They would, number one, diversify their savings with their trade items. What were my, my stock, my stuff that I had? That was part of their savings. The other one is many of them would carry it on their person. So some of their savings was their stuff, then Some of it they carried on their person probably most of the time. And a third part of their treasure, it would be hidden somewhere in the ground. In fact, if for some reason our banks failed and there was no longer that, you and I would probably resort to this again. Remember when Y2K came? Buy silver, buy gold, hide it. Some of you say, I still got it hidden. Tell your spouse where it's at, okay? Make sure they know. 
Another unfortunate problem was that if the owner, as I said, didn't reveal the location of the treasure. So if, let's say, they were killed in battle or they were on a trip, the treasure would be lost. And I'll tell you, no doubt this happened on numbers of occasions in Israel. Many of you know that area of the world was the location of centuries and centuries of battlefields. I read, uh, I read a story even about the United States when we were in the midst of the, the war between the states, the Civil War. What had happened was one particular gentleman had a treasure, and he told his wife about it, he told a friend about it, but then he went and buried it, but he never told him where he buried it. And what happened? He dies suddenly, and that treasure is still somewhere down south, and maybe you'll happen upon it. In Israel, no doubt, I mean, with all the battles, you think about even an army who had already been collecting loot. They had their loot. They're about to fight another battle. What are they going to do? I'm going to go hide it. So after the battle, I'll go get it. In our parable, this man finds an unexpected and great treasure. Now, the text says that once he found it, he hides it. Now here there's a caution I'll give to all of you. Don't stretch the parable, I think, farther than it needs to be in the wrong way. This isn't highlighting his dishonesty or his underhandedness. Okay? This was an order really to secure an undisputed right to the treasure and probably also to facilitate its retrieval. I mean, those are people who do searching for treasure oftentimes in the ocean these days. When they find a, let's say, a wreck, they can't get it all right then. And it's like, okay, we don't want anyone else to know where I just found and discovered this. So they hide it for a time. Well, that's what was happening here. We'll see what he does in order to secure it in just a moment. But let's go to the other parable for a moment and see the similarities. In the second parable, we encounter a merchant who buys and sells pearls. Now, in that day, it was probably, in many ways, like our modern-day diamond broker. I mean, you see diamond brokers a whole lot more often than pearl brokers in Roswell, okay? Pearls, at that time, were of incredible value. In fact, it was said that Cleopatra had two pearls worth $400,000 each. Think about how difficult it would have been to secure pearls during that day in the Red Sea or the Mediterranean Sea or whatever sea and having them transported back to where they're at. And that without modern scuba equipment, but only from free diving. Pearls at that day were of great value and great marketable uh, trading. It seems as if this merchant was on a diligent search for finding beautiful pearls. It's probably the equivalent of what we see sometimes on television, pickers, antique looking. You're looking for, hey, they're always looking for the deal. Can I find the deal and purchase it? It's like antique roadshow. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm... I give in to watching those things. I enjoy watching. I mean, I wonder, wonder what this thing's worth. And then to hear how they found it. Oh, I was in this 
Goodwill and found this painting. I paid $10 for it. It's $100 million. Like, what? How in the world? Here were experienced, you could say, pickers. Or here was an experienced picker when it comes to pearls. And when he found this particular pearl, he was enamored with it. What he does next shows that he recognized the all-surpassing value of it. But let me stop here and tell you that the point of these two parables so far is that the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I would say, is something that is of incredible, immense value. There is nothing like it. There is nothing more important to it. There is nothing more important than the kingdom of God and knowing Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, for you and I today, in the affairs of this life, God in his mercy and in your lives brings individuals at various stages of their lives into contact with the greatest treasure in all the world. And that is citizenship in God's kingdom of heaven. And you come to that by coming to know who Jesus is. Jesus is the true treasure of life. Some people are searching for the meaning and purpose of life and they come into contact with the message of Jesus through their searching. You read the story about the Muslim young man who wrote, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And how he was searching for what's the truth. And ultimately he comes to Jesus Christ. He was on a search and he found Jesus. There are oftentimes people who are simply going through the monotony of this life. And they're not looking for eternal things or eternal values. They're just trying to make it through life. And all of a sudden they come into contact with God. You know what? That's what happened with the woman at the well. I love that story. One of my favorite stories. She's just going through life. Life was tough. She goes to the well at, and all she's thinking about, I'm getting water. She runs into this Jewish man who starts asking her questions. What's going on here? And he offers her some water that will spring it up in her life to give her eternal life. And of course, she's just not even on the same wavelength as he is. And he begins to offer her true eternal life. And she says, oh yeah, we're looking, we're looking for the Messiah here. And I love where Jesus looks at her and says, I, the one who am, I am the one who is that very one. I'm the Messiah. And she comes into contact with the greatest treasure in all of life. Some of you, you were searching. Some of you weren't searching at all. And all of a sudden, you came into contact with the greatest message ever told. I think of many other individuals. I think of Nathaniel in John chapter 1. Who was Nathaniel? He was just, ended up being one of the disciples. But he was worshiping Jehovah at that time. And one day, he's worshiping under a fig tree. And Somehow I think he was having a special moment with God underneath that fig tree. He's just going through life, searching, worshiping God. And all of a sudden one of his friends comes to him and says, Hey, the Messiah has come. 
He's from Nazareth. And of course, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he goes and meets Jesus. And when Jesus sees him, what does he say? An Israelite or an Israelite in whom is no Jacob. No deceit. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And what does Jesus say? When you were sitting under the fig tree, when you were having that special moment, I saw you. And what does Nathaniel say? You are the son of God. You are the, the king of Israel. He came into contact with Jesus. I think of Cornelius. Here was Cornelius. The Bible says he was in many ways seeking after God in some ways. Now, of course, we know Romans says none of us naturally seek after God. We all seek our own way. But God in his grace has made Cornelius is seeking. And one day an angel comes to him and says, go call for Peter. He will tell you words by which you can be saved. And he comes to know Jesus. You think of the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch is just, he, he gets a copy of Isaiah and he's just reading it and searching, who is this all about? Who is this talking to? And God just happens to, at that very moment, send a guy by the name of Philip, who asks him that very important question, do you understand what you're reading? And what does he do? He preaches Jesus. And, he, and the Ethiopian eunuch comes to Christ. In our two parables, both of these people, one seeking, one not, come into the vicinity of the greatest treasure in life and they see it. They see it. They catch it. These two parables liken the kingdom to individuals who came in contact with Jesus, the all-surpassing treasure of life. They see the value before them. There is nothing greater in, va- greater in value than Jesus. Think of Jesus in Mark chapter 8 who says this, For what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? You know, there is nothing of greater value. And the only way that soul can be saved is through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true treasure in life. He is the bread of life, the resurrection and the life. He's the water of life, the door, the way, the truth, the life. He's everything. God brings at times people at a crossroads where they finally see in a moment the person of greatest value. Some of you can remember when that happened to you. Don't miss it. Do you remember when you first realized who Jesus Christ was and what he was offering to you? For some of you, you know what it was like? It was like love at first sight. I can tell you that for Jennifer and I, it was not love at first sight because she was in fifth grade. I was in sixth grade when I first met her. And we were friends all the way through high school and college it wasn't until I was in grad school that I was like, why have I been so stupid? How have I missed this? It took time. But all of a sudden, it was like all the light bulbs came on. Some of you probably can say, I remember when she walked in the room. And it was, she's the one. 
For some of you, you came to Jesus in a moment. Some of you, you were wooed over time. But I'll tell you this, have you discovered that the greatest value in all of life, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, is none other than Christ himself. The most important truth or question is, have you met the true treasure of life? This parable speaks of finding it. But it doesn't talk about just finding it. There's something more they do. What would they do to secure that treasure? And that's the second truth I want to give you. Not only recognize the all-surpassing value of Jesus Christ, but here it is, invest your all in Jesus. Invest it all. In both of these parables, the individuals do something absolutely radical. In the first parable... The man who finds the treasure in the field sells all that he has and buys the field. Notice, go back to verse 44. It says this, halfway through the verse, it says, Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now you're going to see that phrase again in the next parable. So imagine this guy, okay? He stumbles upon this treasure in this field and he's like, flabbergasted so what does he do he finds out who owns the field and maybe the guy has like it's on this one acre of land he says i'm not selling it. you've got to buy it all There's 50 acres and it's a big price but when that field worker saw that treasure he says it, it doesn't matter what the price is so he goes home He takes his ten oxen, sells them all on the eBay of his day, okay? He takes his 20 sheep, even Fluffy, okay? He sells Fluffy as well and Wooly, okay? He sells all of his sheep, his five camels. They're gone. Maybe he had about 30 tools that he used in the instruments of his work. Every one of them he auctions off and sells He maybe has 10 sets of clothing. And he says, you know what? I'm good with the one I'm wearing. Okay, I'll sell the other nine. And then he has his tent that he lives in. It's gone. I'll sell it. And he puts all the money in his purse bag. And maybe as he's on his way to the owner of that property, you can hear it jingling. And everything he has, he's like, I hope I don't run into the robber on, his way to Jer- uh, <laughs> on my way to Jericho. Because I got it all. But you know what? What does he do? He pushes it all. He says, I want, this is more important than anything. He was willing to give everything he had for that. You know what, in the same In the second parable, the merchant, what does he do? He sells all of his, no doubt, other pearls that he had. Listen to what it says in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold, here it is again, all that he had and bought it. I mean, think about all the pearls that maybe he had gathered. Maybe he had some from all different parts of the world. Some of them had great value. Some of them meant a lot to him. But you know what? When he saw that pearl, 
Every other pearl no longer meant anything to him. I mean, I was the guy who collected baseball cards as a kid. Baseball cards and football cards, and I collected them all. And I had numbers of sets. In fact, I had a, I still have a Dan Marino rookie card. I was a big Dolphin fan. Still am a Dolphin fan. I had Dan Marino's rookie card signed. When I was a little kid, I remember going up to him and saying, hey, will you sign my football card? With a blue ballpoint pen, he signs it, and I still got it. And that meant so much to me at that particular time. It was almost like me, a little kid, taking every one of my cards. I just want this one. This is the one. I want you to think about everything you have, everything you own. Would you rather have Jesus? Do you put it all in? The point is here is that the kingdom of heaven, knowing Christ, is of more value than all the treasures, and it's worth you giving it all to secure it. Both of these individuals were willing to give up everything for the sake of the greater treasure. Now, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples, and many of them had counted or were counting the cost. And he tells them that a person who is going to secure the kingdom of heaven is like unto a person who's willing to give it all up for him. And as a reminder to all of you here at Lebanon Baptist Church, you must be willing to give it all up for Christ. Jesus would say in another place, in Luke chapter 9, listen to what he said, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross, what? Daily. What happened with crosses? What did you do with crosses? It was just like, I mean, in our day and age, it's fun. You can like, hey, I can take up my cross, I'll wear it on my neck. Crosses at that time, they were death sentences. And this is where you, God, I'm willing to die to everything for me. I will take up my cross, what? Daily and follow you. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You know what I believe both of these parables do? They give us a picture really of what repentance is. That's a key concept in your Bible. In fact, Jesus said, When he preached the gospel of the kingdom, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is a turning from your sin and a turning to Christ. There's two sides of that coin. I don't want it anymore. I'm turning to you. It's turning away from everything to choose Jesus Christ. I can still remember... I can't tell you the exact time when I was saved, but I can remember really when the fruit of repentance came to bear in my life. When I finally told the Lord, God, I don't care about anything else. I want to live for you. And I'm turning it all over. I'm all in. I'm all in. That one decision has led now to a, it's really a daily, hourly decision. Where I have to continue to do this. God, I'm going to put it all in. It's all for you. I'm turning my back on everything else. Those who have lived a life, I mean, those who have repented, our job as Christians now is to live a life of repentance. 
We are always turning away from this world and turning to Christ. It's you. It's you. But I believe what's talked about here is that initial time where God, it's, I'm turning to you. I'm turning away from all of these things. Many of those disciples chose to do that. Those who were listening to Jesus give these parables, they did that very thing. In fact, many of them would die living for the gospel. You know what? At the beginning of our service, you heard of another account of a guy who could have been listed under the list of disciples. He very well could have been a very avid disciple of Christ if he would have followed him. What was his name? The rich young ruler. What does he do? He sees the true treasure of life, the one. Jesus says, follow me. But what did he do? He allowed his riches to hold him back from following Christ. And that should be a warning to everybody in this room. There is something in your life so often that can hold you back from really coming to the true treasure of life. You've got to turn from it. Turn to him. He is well worth it. Here was a rich young ruler who did not follow Christ, but let me tell you, there was another rich young ruler, I believe, and his name was the Apostle Paul. You'd say, he was probably young, he was probably rich, he had Roman citizenship, he had great training. What would he do? Well, on the road to Damascus, a guy who wasn't planning to run into Jesus runs into Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the pricks? Which I believe God was convicting him and he was kicking against it. And finally he turns to Jesus and gives his life to him. To the point that Paul would later say this in reference to his his spiritual life. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And I'll tell you this, he is well worth it. Give your all to him. Sacrifice it all. Live a life of repentance. Those disciples who were listening to say say these things, They had given it all up for Jesus. And Jesus told them at the end of that story of the rich young ruler, listen to what he says again in Luke 18. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And let me tell you, everything you invest in Jesus, you will reap eternal rewards for. He is well worth it. He is well worth it. So today, really, what are you doing? Have you invested your all in Jesus? Jesus is telling these disciples, count the cost for the kingdom. You know what it's going to cost you? It's going to cost you everything. But it's the greatest investment. Lebanon Baptist Church and those who are visiting here today, those of you who are watching online, 
Do you see the all-surpassing value of Jesus Christ? Do you see that he is worth so much more than anything this world has to offer? Have you counted the cost and have you said, I'm all in? It's all for Jesus. Everything for him. I am willing to live wholeheartedly for him. Some of you, you remember doing that. But one of the evidences that you did that 10 years ago is guess what? You're striving to live a life of repentance today. Will you put it back in? God, it's all for you. Everything I have. My bank account's yours. My time is yours. My family is yours. My house, my everything, it's all yours. You're, you're, you're it all. I want to live all for you. Are you willing to give it all up for him? We can often hold on to things. What keeps us, keeps us from turning to Christ? Sometimes it's sex, it's pride, it's comfort, it's our own rights, or we're afraid what will happen, our family background. But let me tell you, when you find Jesus Christ, there's nothing greater. One additional comment I'll make, some of you may have said, he's, he hasn't mentioned this yet in the text. But in the first parable, there was something that helped facilitate the selling of all that he had. Did you catch what it was? It was for the joy that he experienced when he saw the treasure. When you really, truly find the greatest treasure in life, Jesus Christ, it will be joy unspeakable. I think I've told you on numbers of occasions when I really, in my own personal life as a teenager, finally said, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. I, you're, you're the greatest treasure in life. I don't care about anything else. I just want to live for you. I can tell you, I think I got a quadruple portion of joy. And that joy, I've never forgotten it. Yeah, there's times that I, I get tempted to be pulled away from it. But once you've tasted it, there's nothing else you want. There's nothing else of value. I was so excited. I remember I was mowing my neighbor's lawn, which I normally didn't like to do. But tears were coming down my eyes. And I was like preaching. I was like, that was like my starting of my preaching career. I was like, why hasn't everyone come to Christ? This is the greatest thing in all the world. He's the greatest treasure. That joy is still with me today. And those of you who have come to him, it will still be there. Keep turning it all to him. There's nothing greater than to walk with Jesus. I was known when I was a youth pastor, my most popular phrase I always would say to our youth group was this, the greatest thing in all the world is to live for God. And it is. Find the true treasure of life. And then I'll end with this. Those of you who have found that treasure, tell other people about it. It's a treasure. You remember the story in the Old Testament of when Jerusalem was under siege by the Syrians? And there was hardly any food in the city. All, they were starving and they were eating some of the most disgusting things you could imagine. And there were these four, I can't remember how, maybe it was four or five men with leprosy. 
who were like, we're going to die anyway. We might as well go to the Assyrians and die with them. We're starving. And so one night they leave the, the gates of Jerusalem and they go out to the Assyrians thinking, okay, may, we may get killed, but we're going to die anyway. We're going to starve. But when they got there, guess what? The Assyrians had left and they had heard kind of a rumors of an attack. And so what? they had left all their loot and all of their treasure and it was still in the tent, all their food and all of this. And these guys with leprosy are like, we found the treasure and they're just eating up. They're grabbing all this treasure and then they realize how, how crazy would it be for us never to tell of all of this treasure and all these people who are just behind us in the city of Jerusalem who are starving. And so what do they do? They go tell of that great treasure. Let me tell you, you and I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So spread the word. May God help us to evangelize our community. We have hope. We have the treasure. Share it. Enjoy it. Live for it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his teaching of these particular truths. Lord, would you help us to be willing to give our all to live for him? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.